Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from Training Industry. Hi, welcome back to the Business of Learning. I'm Sarah Gallo, Senior Editor at Training Industry, here with my co-host, Michelle Eggleston-Schwartz, Editor-in-Chief. Yes, welcome. Before we begin, here's a brief message from Training Industry's Agile for HR and L&D Certificate Program, the sponsor for today's episode. As a learning leader, you're tasked with delivering training programs that drive business results. But with business goals constantly shifting alongside market trends and disruptions, this can be a challenge for even the most experienced training leaders. Training Industries Agile for HR and L&D Certificate Program can help by giving you the skills and tools you need to deliver flexible and impactful programs so that when it comes time to pivot, both you and your training programs are ready. For a sneak peek inside the program, visit the show notes for this episode for a complimentary job aid, or to learn more about this course and other training industry courses, download the complete training industry course catalog also linked in the show notes. Are you ready to embrace the agile revolution? Training and development plays an important role in both engaging and retaining employees. After all, it makes sense that without opportunities to learn and grow, employees may begin to feel stagnant in their roles and seek those opportunities elsewhere. And with recent Gallup research finding that low engagement costs the global economy approximately $7.8 trillion each year, businesses would be smart to double down on employee engagement sooner rather than later. Learning leaders can help by delivering training across the employee lifecycle, which can ensure that employees receive the development opportunities they're looking for, no matter where they are in their career journeys. To learn more about delivering learning across the employee lifecycle, we're speaking with Dana Baker, Degreed Engagement Manager at Cisco, and Andy Schuster, a Certified Professional in Training Management and Senior Training Manager at Gromark. Andy and Dana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Looking forward to it. I'm excited to be here. Yes, welcome. We're so excited to have you both here today for this conversation. To get things started, why don't you both share how you define the employee life cycle? What are those different stages employees go through throughout their tenure at an organization? I think every organization probably defines it a little bit differently, but at its core, it's recruiting, onboarding, really development, professional development in their role, retaining the employees, employee engagement, and then offboarding or providing exit interviews. And really depending on, I would say, the again, the culture of the organization and how they view the employee lifecycle, you may add or subtract a couple of those components. Yeah, I agree. I just think I would maybe focus on a little bit more is during the actual stage of an employee at a company. At least at Cisco, we kind of look at people into three different categories as individual contributors, managers, leaders, and then leaders of leaders. That's kind of our kind of three categories to look at people. And then obviously within those, there's different little focus areas like, you know, emerging talent or those that are brand new to the company or those that have transitioned from maybe a completely different industry into your organization. So that's kind of just to second that or add on to it. That's kind of a little bit deeper into how we look at employees actually while they're at our company. That's great. Thank you both for clarifying. Why is it important that learning and development is delivered across all of these stages throughout the employee's life cycle? Learning is never not needed. (laughs) 
learning is something that is always isn't always on type of activity, no matter what stage you're at, no matter where you are coming from to where you're at currently, learning is always going to be a constant. And I, I kind of think of going to a university or going to a higher education as a way to learn how to learn rather than to try to specifically learn a skill. Yes, that is the goal of most universities and higher education. But I truly think that you learn how to learn correctly so that when you move on in your life into your career, you have those skills and how to learn and retain knowledge quickly and be able to turn it around and produce results from it. So that's kind of how I think of learning. Yeah, that's a that's a good example. And I would I would echo that and and add in today's society, the learning should be constant. We're dealing with the future of work, the workforce of the future, all of these different components. We're a small to medium-sized organization and, and recruiting talent and developing talent is critical. And so we want to make sure that we have the necessary components in place to not only deliver that training, but ensure that the right training is available to them. And there's a lot of talk today about the uh, employee value proposition, if you will, or what is it that we as organizations really need to be doing for the employees. And a big piece of that is career development, employee engagement, really making sure there's opportunities from the beginning to the end of that employee life cycle. Uh, And training plays a huge role in that in all, all different endeavors and in, in all different ways. Dana had mentioned the employee the leadership development training, professional development training in the various stages people are in. And it's just making sure that we touch base and are, are maintaining the integrity of our programs as we allow people to move through those that becomes so important. So we work hard to stay front and center in terms of our employees' minds and, and what we can do from the training perspective. I also think that learning is a little bit, it depends on how you kind of frame it up at your organization is how it's viewed. I would say for us at Cisco, we frame up learning in the form of a reward most of the time and we're looking at our employees. And so if, if you view learning as a form of a reward, then it's more likely that people are going to buy into that particular piece of content that you're trying to get them to go through, but also it's something that they find as a way to help with employee retention is, okay, if this organization's buying into me and they're developing me, then I want to give my best back to the company. So that's another kind of way to frame up learning at different stages is different forms of rewards. You go up in one's career, the reward level might look a little greater than um, maybe somebody who is brand new in their career, but also that might just be as satisfactory as needed. You know, when you're early in your career, if you get some sort of extra training or get to go to a conference, that's really great. That sounds awesome. You know, you're new in your career. You don't know much. You're just trying to absorb and be a sponge and take in everything. Whereas if you're later in your career, your reward is going to be more of a personalized coach, somebody to really get at the things that you are struggling with and how to help you kind of combat some of those challenges that you're facing. So it looks different at different stages. And I think it's appropriate that it looks different at different stages as well. That's a really interesting take. And when I hear Dana talking about that, that's a very much a culture piece. And so I'll share with you where our culture is as it relates to training. So Dana talked about it being a reward. We would see it culturally as a necessity. 
as something that I have to do to go take the next step. And we're 95 plus year company and very operational. So the organization itself sees training as something that's necessary to take the next step and not have it necessarily as a reward. And Dana mentioned coaches. And one of the things we're really trying to implement inside the organization is how can our leaders be better coaches? We've just begun to bring in outside vendors and outside uh, coaches for our executives. And we've had some just fascinating results. So a little bit of what our job is inside the employee lifecycle is sharing the story of what learning is and what it can be. And that's not what it is today, but that's a culture component. And the idea of learning as a reward is a pretty cool concept. I like that. Yeah, I like that concept as well, because as our listeners probably know, learning really is a reward. It's giving that employee the skills they need to advance their careers versus some sort of check the box thing or or remedial intervention. I think it's also important to note here that there's distinct differences that come with each of those stages employees go through throughout the employee's life cycle. So, you know, whether it's onboarding or leadership, all of those stages kind of require new skills and competencies. So with that in mind, how can training really help employees transition from one stage to the next and really set them up for success in that new stage of their career? I think one of the biggest components and biggest wins that we've had here at Growmark is the introduction of a competency model. So I mentioned we're a little bit older organization. Uh, and when we rolled out the competency model, we had some initial competencies. And then what our team did is we began to break those down really based kind of on the employee life cycle and also the stages of development from a young professional and a young leader all the way up to executives. And that's become our roadmap in terms of how we want to develop our employees. So that becomes a really nice, frankly, marketing piece and piece of the puzzle for individuals to see what the purpose of learning is and how they can apply that across that employee life cycle and inside of their work today. And so we make sure that every time we do training, we're always lifting up our competency model. We're talking about the purpose of it. We're talking about the why. We're showing them where they exist in the competency model and and focusing on both strengths and weaknesses as we kind of move through that. But earlier, Dana had talked about training is foundational and necessary every stage of the way. And I, I would agree with that. One of the challenges I see and I hear from my peers is onboarding and really maintaining the training and the learning as you're bringing on these new employees. And, and I think that's something as organizations move forward, they really want to get correct out of the gate in terms of being able to onboard employees in the right way so that they stick around and become really valued employees down the road. I would say the only other addition I would have to that is just kind of some examples of what some teams have done that I've seen for each of these kind of different stages, at least at Cisco. My team at one point, we had what was called a source code. So um, what are our views on our particular industry that we are the subject matter experts for? Okay, here is all of the information about what our team is, who we are, how we think, what our viewpoint is on certain big key topics. Go crazy. And we have that sourced in degreed as a plan. And so people can go through and degreed and take a look at all of the different content that makes up who we are as a team. And sometimes that's the hardest part to figure out when you're brand new to a different team is who's who, who does what, you know, how does everyone play together and how do they play together nicely? And what does that look like? And 
what their point of view on certain topics really helps bring somebody up to speed a lot quicker than maybe if they just had a bunch of one-on-ones and try to gain that knowledge, you know, firsthand experience. So that's just one quick example that has helped kind of bring anybody up to speed, no matter what stage they're at in their career. But I'd say most of the time, it's not that universal. Most of the time, it is more specific to whatever stage that person is at in their career or whatever stage they're at in that company. You know, as the pandemic has hit, there has been so many people that have really reassessed where they want to be in their lives, Um, not only just their careers, but their lives. And a lot of people have kind of taken a look at what is it that I want to do and maybe have changed careers completely. I think now that pandemic is a few years in, we do have folks that said, hey, at the beginning, I'm going to change my my career. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get a different degree or I'm going to get these certifications so that I can change to a completely different role. And we have had more folks apply to Cisco that have more unconventional backgrounds applying. And we are definitely taking a look at those applicants just as seriously as everybody else that has maybe applied for those roles, understanding that people are coming to work from different stages in their life as well. Uh, They might have completely changed roles and careers, and they might not be necessarily your typical early in career demographic or emerging talent demographic, but they still might need the same resources that somebody else would at that stage. So how can we kind of meet the needs of people during each stage? The other big kind of key thing I see when it comes to learning at different stages is learning is actually pretty disruptive or it can be disruptive, especially if it's something that is like you are being lifted and shifted into a course or a training program or you're going to a conference. And how do you fit that into your regular duties and responsibilities? I find that it can be challenging for folks to know when to fit that in. So it's also a really big key component that our leaders are supportive of folks throughout their different stages of their career and encouraging them to continuously improve themselves by building their skills. I think if we don't have leaders that are on board with that continuous improvement, because it does take away from their regular day job duties to learn, but it's an investment in the future. And so the more we can kind of get our leaders on board with that idea, that concept, that learning is a valuable asset to help somebody stay relevant in the future of the company can really kind of frame the view of learning in a completely different way from an employee perspective and from a team perspective as well. Certainly. I know our editorial team here at Training Industry has definitely seen that as a trend where that manager support is just so critical and employees are busier than ever and they really need that time and space to learn or else it's just another thing on their already overflowing plate, so to speak. So super important to keep in mind. I also want to touch on another fact here. We mentioned onboarding being one of those stages where new hires really need this training to get them up to speed. Are there any other sort of stages in the employee life cycle where training is especially important and maybe stages in which training may be lacking or or overlooked? I would say uh, the messy middle, kind of the Michelin, Michelin man kind of middle area, probably where training is lacking the most in most organizations, just because if there isn't a big critical transition period of, oh, I'm becoming a leader, there was a big drastic shift in my roles and responsibilities 
versus, okay, I'm just kind of moving up to the next level of the same position. It's a lot more drastic of a switch if you do either move to a completely new team or you change to becoming a people leader. Those are more critical stages in one's career that's easily defined. I think the the less easily defined areas are those that are more of that kind of messy middle. So either within kind of the leadership realm, the middle management, and also kind of the middle stage of those individual contributors that are not necessarily wanting to advance to become a leader. They are perfectly content being an individual contributor, and that's kind of where they're happy. Those are the folks that I would say the training is not as well defined historically. I think that's where folks really need to take their training into their own hands. A lot of times as folks advance in their careers, they do specialize into a very specific niche area. And if they do that, a lot of times the training that they require is also going to be that same capacity. It's going to be very specific, very niche. And so a lot of times if the employee is not advocating for themselves and seeking out the latest and greatest, it can be even challenging for their leader to know what to recommend for them. So I think that's definitely a stage where it can be challenging to know what to line up for that individual. And that's where I kind of like to, especially if somebody's more senior in their kind of individual contributor track, is a great way to learn is also to teach. So we definitely have a pretty big teaching culture and a mentorship culture. We don't have necessarily a super formal program around mentorship or teaching, but it's definitely a part of our culture that when you are at that stage, you give back. And the best way that you can kind of advance and grow your skills is to give back in the form of teaching. So that's where we do have a lot of mentorship type of programs or our employee resource organizations that we also have, you know, they'll kind of tap into those more senior folks to come in and do talks and speeches and things like that to kind of give those that are not quite at their skill level um, an opportunity to find out kind of how to get to that higher, more advanced kind of level of understanding. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I would echo to some degree what Dana was speaking about. When I first got to Growmark, we had a big gap in what I would call, what we call it today, our experienced leaders. And that's the group of individuals that have gone from managing teams to now they're really uh, managing departments or divisions. So a little bit different perspective in a lot of different ways on where you were comfortable leading that team and you were working on team building and ensuring that things were were moving properly with that team. Now you're responsible for strategy, execution, budget. So there's some pretty different responsibilities there. And what I have found is the further up the ladder you go, the ability to be able to let go of the day-to-day and focus on the strategy and execution and the vision becomes a a difficult task to overcome. In other words, they want to step back into and still be part of the day-to-day operations when what they're really being asked to do is set and cast the vision. And we've been talking a little bit about time and learning being disruptive. This is also the group that I have found will notoriously say, I don't have time for whatever the learning opportunity would be, whether it's a conference, whether it's an opportunity to work with an executive coach, whatever the case may be. They see that as something that's taking them out of out of the battle, the daily battle, if you will. And it's just to them, they're not sure what the value is. However, when you get them off site, we're typically in a cohort situation with that group. You get them off site, the learning becomes incredibly powerful as a p- part of that cohort. 
I can share this. We recently just created a mastermind group for a group of senior executives that are in a very similar uh, life cycle stage in terms of being leaders of uh, companies and organizations. And it's been overwhelmingly uh, received in, in terms of this group wanting to get together and learn from each other. And because they're similar in terms of their tenure and their experience in the roles, it really becomes a very powerful piece for them. The other thing I would say for folks in this role that I have had some really good success in is as you become really CEO, executive staff into that role, bringing on an executive coach, uh, an individual executive coach for those leaders is incredibly powerful. Most of them would have had an assessment, a 360 done along the way, but uh, if they haven't, having an outside vendor do a 360. And it's the perspective, I think, simply of somebody from the outside that's an executive coach that's really pouring into the folks has been very powerful from our end. So it's a unique nuance where our training department's fully capable of, of serving the, obviously the executive team, but to, to some extent, they really appreciate when I go out um, and I, I grab an executive coach or I provide some opportunities outside the building that they can really pour into. So that's been, that's been a good win for us in that regard. Those are such good points on areas that other learning leaders can take into consideration that can sometimes get get overlooked. I'd be interested to hear a little bit more kind of your own experience and what's going on at your organization. How does your organization use like social and informal learning to help kind of support that continuous learning that needs to happen? That's a really good question. And I wish I could crack the code on it in particular. I can tell you what we've done here in the last five years. So we we really didn't have a, an LMS. In fact, my admin team lead used to call our LMS a Yugo. And we've upgraded to SuccessFactor. So now we have the Cadillac. And so being able to, and within SuccessFactors, we pulled in Skillsoft as a content provider, uh, as well as some other outside vendors. And so for us, it was being able to have and really teaching our organization that you have the ability to learn, self-learn, you have mobile learning, you have micro learning, but we basically had to step back. And I think Dana said it earlier, we had to teach our employees how to learn on their own. So they were so used to in-person training and big cohorts and, and it was almost an event production versus a learning opportunity. So we spent quite a bit of time really talking about what is learning, and we still do in all of our classes. So uh, providing licenses, working with teams one-on-one to show them all the different ways that they can learn on their own and, and through the different options that we have through the LMS and through Skillsoft. And then informal learning, we spend quite a bit of time in our leadership programs. They're usually three months to a year long, and we really drive learning opportunities within the cohort of those folks are responsible for bringing forth and sharing with the rest of the team different ways that they're learning, different experiences that they're being provided and some of the biggest wins and losses they've had in those experiences in terms of leadership development, learning opportunities. So we're very diligent about, for lack of a better term, really forcing the conversation into a learning conversation. Because as I said earlier, culturally, we're just very operationally driven. And so it's been fun to see that process kind of kind of pull its way forward and we'll continue to kind of focus in that area as well. 
as we've already discussed, like creating that learning culture, that continuous learning that needs to happen in an organization is extremely difficult because it's a long-term process. And so it can be difficult to get started. And so kind of with that in mind, do you have any tips for our listeners who want to begin creating a culture of continuous learning in their organization? How can they get started? What's that first step look like? I would say make it hard to ignore. (laughs) So uh, try to incorporate learning into as much as you possibly can and make it as natural as possible for folks to kind of find materials in a learning style format. So, you know, for example, you have a big event that you have, we'll have all your supplemental materials in some form of learning. So for us, it's a degree pathway, most likely, or a plan that collects several of them, you know, make it easy for folks to incorporate into their daily work life. And uh, the more you can do that, the more less lift that they have to do, the more likely they will do it. Um, The other thing is, you know, trying to make it attractive to them or have some sort of incentive behind why learning is important, you know, so is it a reward? Is it to get on a leaderboard? Is it to prove that they have the abilities to move on to their next role? You know, what is it um, about that learning that you can make integrated into uh, what somebody already has to do or um, a way to kind of show them as, as a form of a reward? I think that that really does help kind of solidify the, the why somebody would take time out of their day to do some sort of learning. The other thing around that is to make it easy to do that, which is not always easy to do, which is kind of funny to say, but how can you make it less of a lift for folks to put their content into a place that can be easily consumed from a learning perspective? That's easier said than done. You can obviously do that with a lot of governance. You can do that with help. You can do that with having a good relationship from a learning perspective with your business and all of the kind of sub-business areas that you know uh, want to to share their learning in a way that makes sense to folks, can have that good dialogue and that connection already set up, a good trusted relationship so that when things do need to be put into a format for consumption, it can be done quickly, easily, et cetera. And there's enough um, knowledge and expertise in each of the business areas to do that. And the other thing I would say is give excuses or reasons or events that folks can kind of all rally around and it's some sort of social kind of pressure to go towards some sort of event. So for us, we have four events a year, once per quarter that focus on learning in some capacity. So we have it focused on teams for our next um, event. And the one we just had was focused on leadership at all stages. And then we all focus on teams. We focus on individuals. We focus on leaders, but these quarterly events that we have we have so that folks have something to rally around. There's actual events that people go to and attend, but it's also we're creating discussion guides and materials for teams to have discussions within their team to make the learning kind of stick for them. And what are they going to change? What are they going to take away from that event? I think it's not only 
presenting folks with the materials to learn, but also having a way for them to retain that knowledge and make changes from what they have learned into their actual you know, organizations, their work lives. And I think that's the part that really is the transformational aspect of what learning can do for a company is you have to find ways to help folks understand how they can translate what they're learning into actual work that they're doing day to day. Otherwise, nothing is going to stick in a way that's actually going to make changes across your company. We definitely look at learning as a way to transform our organization. And we have done that several times throughout our company's life cycle. And I know for sure that has to happen when a company is has been around for several years. So how can we find more ways to make that less of a list for folks is what our goal is always trying to do. It's an interesting perspective when you're sitting in the training learning space and you're working with an organization that's very much, as I've been mentioning before, operational. And so when I first got to the organization, one of the things that we did was probably a little bit of a nuance from uh, the previous manager was I wanted to make sure that the team was incredibly clear about who we were, what we do, and how we serve our customers. So if you think of sort of the foundations of the CPTM, we are the strategic partner to the divisions, to the departments. For us to be able to do that, we have to be able to go in, have a conversation, do needs assessments, talk to them about their strategic plans, And so we spent the first two years talking about the role of training and learning inside the organization and how it supports your goals. And bit by bit through some wins with various divisions and departments uh, and building a team that was uh, highly focused on consulting, coaching, facilitating, and training. Those were the four traits really that I look for with, with our trainers and then having continuous conversations with leaders and divisions about how we can support their initiatives. Now we're getting ready to launch a pretty big initiative with succession planning inside the organization. And I have great hopes for that in terms of not only employee development, but also leadership coaching, individual development plans, some larger uh, employee programs, professional development programs, and other cohort type programs. But I would say for for somebody that's trying to share the message of what the learning department can do and the role of continuous learning, if your company doesn't know what you do, be very, very clear on your own department's mission, vision, goals, and your strategy to reach those departments, and then show unbelievable value in being really, really good at how you work with those divisions. And it will have a tremendous impact positive, both in terms of reputation, but also in terms of really becoming the thought leader or or the knowledge expert in that training facilitation space. And you all of a sudden get pulled into meetings and have opportunities that probably traditionally weren't there for some other learning organizations. So be a marketer and be super clear on your mission and your vision. That's very, very powerful. Definitely. The role of the learning leader is essentially a strategic partner to the business. So that kind of brings me to my next question which is, you know, another common challenge that learning leaders face is getting buy-in for these sorts of initiatives. Do you have any tips for our listeners who are struggling to gain buy-in for ongoing learning and development? This one is kind of near and dear to my heart, and, and I'm not a big workplace politics person, but I will say this. You have to find 
sponsors at a level higher than you and even in the executive ranks that are going to really empower you or going to get behind your initiatives are really going to to begin to to spread the word, if you will, to their peers and to their divisions and their teams about the work that you do. And so it's it's kind of going back to the original statement, being very clear on who you are as a division or uh, as a consultant, as a facilitator, sharing that message, finding your sponsor. And then again, I'll, I'll, I'll use the phrase uh, kind of being a marketer, but then making sure that at every opportunity you are sharing success of, of some of the programs that you're doing. I spend every single meeting, I've been doing this at Growmark now for seven years, every single meeting with executives, I share success, some success story, whether it's a stat, it's a quote, it's a survey data. I share the wins that we're having and the impact that it's having on the organization. And it's, it's my role as the head of training to be able to share that message consistently, but it's really, really important to have that data. And it's also really, really important to find that sponsor. That's a great point. I would say just to add on to that or second that is uh, to make sure that the work that you're doing isn't just in your own silo of learning. You know, it's very easy to say, okay, we're HR, we're going to do only HR stuff, only talk to HR people, and we're going to roll it out, and it's going to be beautiful. That never happens. (laughs) If you just do what you want because you want to do it, you have to work with the business to make sure you're meeting their needs. And I like to think of my team as an enabler. We, in a a good way, of course, um, that we help enable you to get what your business needs to do to transform into a learning format so that you can make that happen. So how can we take your business goals, your business objectives, and translate that into learning where folks are coming to us and saying, hey, you guys have expertise in curation, you have the expertise in the learning house, but we have the subject matter experts. So how can we kind of partner with you to make sure that we get the training developed in a way that is most applicable to that audience, but also is going to meet the business objectives of that organization? They're going to push a lot harder for something that they built or they it was their idea um, and if it's something that is going to help truly transform their organization they're going to push for it a lot more than we ever would or would ever need to I, I don't see my role as one to market in the business for training i see that as the role in the business to do that work so it's really the buy-in for them to get help um, in a way that has a better user experience i think anybody's capable of putting together some sort of loosely put together training to train somebody on something. But is it going to be good? Is it going to be a great user experience? That's the part where my team, my extended team comes in. We have a design team that's also a part of our learning space. And so how do we help you design something that will actually meet your learners where they need to be met, but also is engaging and helps get the material across in a way that folks do retain it? And that's where um, I think the the true kind of distinguishing between just anybody who's trying to teach something and a true kind of learning and development organization is the ability to have that consultation to take what they want as far as the goals and objectives into actual training that can deliver those objectives and goals. And that's the part where, you definitely have to have the skills and expertise to do that. Not everybody has that ability to kind of translate 
training in that way. And so that's why we have our central learning teams at Cisco and our learning teams within the business. And we partner together on efforts that are large and transformational like this so that it's, it's all about the users and the user experience. And we don't create something that is going to end up with a bunch of support cases or something like that. I mean, we really need to focus on making the learning uh, something that is desirable for folks. Otherwise, they will not want to go through it and take the time out of their day jobs to to go through the training. Definitely has to be actionable and something that learners want to engage with. While we're talking about the business value of continuous learning, I'm interested to hear also kind of on that more broader level of how learning across the employee life cycle can really help organizations stay competitive in today's market, which we kind of mentioned is evolving faster than ever before. What does that look like? Folks don't want to go to a place that's going to be stagnant. They don't want to go to a place that the technology is outdated. They don't want to move to a company that isn't trying to have self-improvement and continuous growth in the future. And the easiest way to incite growth in an organization is to challenge someone's current status quo with the way that they're working, what they're doing. And so you can do that in, you know, several different ways by trying to challenge uh, technology, to try to challenge uh, innovation type practices, to try to change the way somebody even thinks about the way that they work, like the move to agile that was popular, you know, several years ago, for example. So I think it's making sure that folks outside of the company know that your company values learning. And when you are retaining the talent, you know that people are staying at your organization because they can get that continuous improvement that they maybe had to fight for more at another organization or, um, wasn't as easily accessible um, and in the hands of the learner. I've been at organizations where uh, it's it's harder to get your hands on learning. And then, you know, there's organizations like Cisco where the world is your oyster. You can learn kind of anything um, you want. And it, when it comes to cost, that's kind of where the distinguishing factor comes in as, as the amount of type of learning that you can get. So the role is your oyster in the sense of, okay, you need to learn about leadership. Well, there's free offerings for leadership. There's cost offerings for leadership. There's different stages of training for that one particular skill that somebody may want to go into. And so trying to make sure folks know that they have all of those options available to them is half the battle. Some of the times is just making sure people know where and how to get the content that they want to get so that they can advance their career um, and, and stay at the company longer. This is a, a question that has fascinated me and kind of keeps me up at night as I think about how do we help the organization stay competitive? So we're in an uber competitive environment and the, the future of work and the workforce of the future are utterly fascinating in terms of the pace of change and what's going to be necessary. And so as you think about training and employee life cycle, for me, it's one of those things that for the, our organization to stay competitive, I have to be able to bring in not only the right training delivered in the right way and, and different modalities, but I also have to introduce different ideas and concepts and, and certifications. And I've got to look at the talent inside the organization. I have to consider if there's, in terms of a talent review process, is upskilling need uh, a need that we have in the organization as we look at succession, are there folks that maybe have different competencies, skills, and traits that could be used in other places? 
So the learning across employee lifecycle is so critical to keeping the organization competitive. It's really what keeps us on our toes. And it's, it's just been a really neat paradigm to watch shift, especially since the pandemic as learning has, has really done, in my opinion, a nice job keeping up to pace with how fast things are changing in the competitive landscape. And I, and I think we've done a really good job with that. And I, I would argue that the pandemic, if the organizations were prepared for that or were able to pivot quickly, the pandemic really allowed us to show some of the strengths that we have in the learning department and how learning can be just more than in-person learning and all the different modalities and, and options that individuals have. But staying competitive in the, in the future of work and in the, in the workforce of the future, we just have to make sure we have the right content and that's consumable when the employees want it. Well, Andy and Dana, before we wrap up, are there any final takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners with? In, in our organization, a couple things as a learning department, learning leader, uh, a learning employee, they are fundamental. The first is certainly know your business. The second would be know your culture up and down. How do they want to be, how do you want to work inside that culture and what does that look like? And then the third one is have absolute clarity on who you are as a learning department, a learning division, and understand the value that you can bring to the different departments and divisions and be really, really clear and and consistent in how you communicate not only your skills, but the options and opportunities that you can provide to those divisions as you help them achieve their strategic goals. I would say the last kind of takeaway is make sure that you're also staying on the latest and greatest as far as learning trends go and ways to engage learners in in learning new skills. I mean, skill building is not always just courses and trainings and pathways. Skill building can happen on the job as well and recognizing and getting people to know that, hey, learning happens all the time. It doesn't have to happen in a super formal way. There is other ways to keep yourself relevant. How do you build it into your daily practices? You know, are you staying on top of the latest and greatest in your particular area, even from a learning perspective? Are we making sure that we are delivering training in a way that is the latest and greatest, whether it's technology or approach to learning or the the actual tools of delivery for that particular training, you know, making sure that we as a learning development team is actually doing learning ourselves. That's always a big challenge. Whenever I talk to people about learning, I try to encourage them to find ways that are natural ways for them to learn. So build it into your routine in the morning or build it into your routine on a, a weekly or daily basis and find nudges that you can deliver to yourself to remind yourself to do that until it does become a habit for you from a learning perspective. So that's a big key one for us. The other thing is to make learning social. So try to find a way. I know we talked about social really quickly in earlier part of this podcast episode, but how do you find a way to not necessarily make it social in a social media aspect, which you can do, but more social in the sense of how do you, you know, go to a conference, come back and share with your team? How do you go take your master's degree courses and come back and share what you've learned with your team. You know, how do you take a, maybe something controversial and have a discussion with your team about that particular topic? I think learning can also happen in idea sharing and making sure that the latest and greatest topics are being discussed amongst your team. And you take the time to do that 
um, amongst your teams. I think that is also just as critical in creating a learning culture as creating the best of the best courses that are out there. Those are some great takeaways. Well, on that note, I just want to thank you both again for joining us here today. This has been a great conversation. How can our listeners get in touch with you after the episode if they'd like to reach out? Certainly. Obviously, LinkedIn page. I'm under the name Andy Schuster. We have a Twitter feed that we are relatively pretty active on called In the No Leader, all one word. And certainly folks can reach out, Growmark directory and call right away. I love I love sharing thoughts and ideas with other professionals. So really appreciate this opportunity and appreciate uh, you having us on this podcast. Yeah, and same with me. My LinkedIn page is probably the best way to stay connected with me from a professional perspective. But I am also definitely willing to have discussions with anybody who's interested in these topics. I love staying in contact with folks that are also in the learning space to help make sure that idea sharing is also happening across companies because sometimes we learn the best from each other and can take each other's ideas and be able to apply it in our own particular organization. So I am also willing to uh, have folks reach out to me on LinkedIn to stay connected. To learn more about learning across the employee life cycle and to view this episode in animation, check out the show notes for today's episode at trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, let us know. Leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at trainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.